right, that is the sound of the Bradenton Times podcast. I am Mitch Maley, joined by my colleague, Don Kitterman, and we have another wild, wild week to run down in Manatee County politics. How about it? How about it? I don't, I don't think this is going to be a pattern that's going to change anytime soon. And I, we say this all the time because we're speaking to, to those who are already in the know many times. But, you know, if you're not in the know and you just happen to be first tuning in, now is the time to start tuning in. We would have told you months ago, you need to tune in because it's so important to be involved what's going on with your local government and here on local issues and what your elected officials are doing. But it's getting to the point now, folks, where you should tune in for entertainment's sake because you will save some money on your Netflix subscriptions. <laughs> you, or, can, you can cancel a streamer over I this. mean, this is free, folks, because it's getting weird. So we have a couple of things to report on yesterday the Manatee County Commission narrowed down its list of county administrators. So it does look like there's a good chance that we're going to be getting somebody, you know, from the outside, but uh, they've narrowed it down to five finalists. So the plan goes, uh, and you can read all about that at thebradentontimes.com, and we've got a um, summary of uh, each of the five finalists that comes from the consultant, the consultant basic uh, rundown of them that was given to commissioners, and the plan is next week, the five finalists will fly in. Uh, they will have a community event at a, at a you know, still to be determined site Thursday night in which there's sort of a meet and greet opportunity where citizens can come out and they're, as I understand it, they'll be kind of posted in the corners of the rooms and you can go and have a conversation, ask questions. And then on Friday, the commissioners will do each do one-on-one -on -one interviews with those five candidates. And quite possibly, we will get a new county administrator who is not from within the uh, circus that has been Manatee County government. Yeah, I mean, that sounds hopeful. I'm, I'm hesitant. Uh, just on, I mean, it, it sounds great. I have not, I did not watch how that part portion of the meeting went yesterday yet. I need to go back and rewatch it. Um, it, it went, it actually went very quick. And that's and what I'm hearing. And, and I'm, I'm hearing it was very smooth and yeah. it seemed to be following the process. I, I guess my only hesitation is, is to this point based on all the other moving parts and, and who's mostly pulling the levers on those. It's a little hard for me to right now take faith that, um, I mean, this is a really important position. Um, are, is there really going to be no shenanigans in, in this process? I mean, I would love that to be the case. I'm, I'm looking forward to the be the, I'm not trying to say that isn't the case. I'm just a little gun shy. Right. There, uh, they were, they were surprisingly kind of in line with the, the five that they were going to pick. Uh, in fact, uh, all five that ended up in the finalists were actually the five that Commissioner Ballard picked. So, uh, and then strewn, you know, uh, some people didn't give a full five and so forth. But the lead seems to be a guy named Andrew Butterfield, who is the operations manager for City of St. Pete Beach. So that's a really small position mm -hmm. in comparison to the- And small population. Yeah, it's only about 8,000 people. Wow. Uh, it, it's a well-run city, but it's not really that experience that has, I think, opened a door for him. It's the fact that he's a retired military officer and he had mm -hmm. been a base commander. And a base commander is a really, really big job that, you know, uh, bears a lot of similarities to a K-12 
county administrator. Uh, he had seven votes. Um, and then James Dorr, who is a county administrator in Gatlin County, Montana, population 128,000. And he's been there for almost a decade. So you have small rural county, different in many ways. Uh, Montana is not known for the growth that Manatee County has, uh, but you know, direct relevant experience. But also no experience in the state of Florida and what's Florida statutes and so forth. Um, and there were, you know, there were some other candidates got five and four that, you know, could certainly impress people uh, and, and shift and move the ball once the process starts. But uh, overall, a, you know, a relatively impressive field of five people. I, I'm going to be more interested to see, you know, how they perform in the interviews in a, a community event. Um, and then, you know, we've spoken before, there is always the possibility that they don't hire any of them and we see an audible come uh, and perhaps they they take their interim administrator and make them permanent. I hope that doesn't happen, but I, I, I'm with you. I'm a part of me is like, how could it possibly be that this process is going to go the way it's supposed to go and we're going to end up with an independent, uninfluenced somebody that wasn't picked, picked, selected, and brought into I, this position. I wonder if during the process, they'll meet uh, maybe privately with some other, <laughs> let's say, influencers in the county, uh, members of the development cartel. Of, of the five that are on the list here, um, is the St. Petersburg, Mr. Butterfield, is he the only one who's from Florida? Are the others all no, skaters? Uh, Mr. Uh, Don Rosenthal worked for Pasco, Pasco County, Florida, which is actually a bigger county, uh, for six years and spent five of them as an assistant county administrator. And then he served as a buildings director for Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so he, he's got uh, probably the most impressive public administration uh, resume, in, in my opinion. And... Uh, I think the idea that he has that direct um, experience in Florida. And then one of the other persons, uh, Dale Doc Doherty, uh, has been the city manager for Garden City, Michigan since 2018, but he was the Parks and Recreation Director for Hillsborough County prior, mm. um, which of course is a, a very large county that includes Tampa. Uh, and, he, and then he also uh, worked in uh, an administrative job in um, a county in Georgia, Macon Bibb, which is a... Uh, he spent five years there as well. So there's, you know, I, I would say those four um, who, you know, all have good resumes. And then the fifth one uh, is Lee Smith, who was most recently the county manager for Chatham County, Georgia. That's where Savannah is, right? Mm -hmm. That and, is Savannah. And as a matter of fact, um, uh, the mayor of that city, uh, he would have worked for that guy who I happened to meet one. So he was person. county manager um for five years and previously he was county manager for wayne county north carolina a smaller county and he was there for 13 years and then also county manager for washington county north carolina so he's got a lot of administrative well, what, I, what i think would well. be interesting too uh the savannah connection is you know it's a coastal county they deal with a lot of the same uh mm -hmm. flood risks yeah. storm risks and savannah development has been growth has yeah been and savannah well. itself is is heavily uh funded or or receives its funding not just from from property but tourism is right, huge right. there so that person would probably have quite a bit of transferable uh knowledge to, to some degree 
Good points. Uh, as for our predictions last week, if, if you read my column um, Sunday, you know that while we were a little bit wrong, we thought that Courtney DePaul was going to be moved into the director position. And we almost, you know, afterward, we're like, that seemed kind of weird the way it happened. And uh, the interesting part was we learned since that not only was Mr. Paul very formally presenting herself that day, it seemed like she was dressed up a little mm -hmm. bit extra. And also her husband was in the audience. Correct. Somebody reached out uh, a few days after your, or a day or two after your uh, column ran and just brought it to my attention and showed me some screenshots, which I shared with you of the meeting video pointing out like, hey, see this guy sitting here? This is Courtney DePaul's husband is. And they were like, you know, the agenda was supposed to just be the generational projects list prior to uh, Attorney Clegg adding that administrator it, uh, item, which by the way, was a super vague item. It wasn't even clear what was about to happen or what the discussion was gonna be. Um, so yeah, odd odd meeting for him to be sitting there and then they showed me the minute mark and when you watch it, you don't see on the video the moment that he departed the meeting, but it is after the vote, after Bishop uh, you know, says what he says at the podium, thanking for the confidence, and then Chad Butzow of Public Works begins the presentation. It goes to an overhead. When it comes back to the podium, it's clear he's not there. Yet. He's gone. So it did seem like maybe other people expected Courtney DePaul to be. I would say Courtney DePaul probably. Expected that. <laughs> that seems to be the case. Her husband might be glad that he's no longer in that uh, aviation company that Scott Hopes took over because as we learn more and more about that company, things are not going there well. But I have to ask you this question. Doesn't it seem now that they probably hired the best person? Because if <laughs> with the state of that company, as described in some of those investigations, um, I think maybe being the Manatee County Administrator for <laughs> a year and a half or whatever might have been like the perfect experience to say, oh, I could jump into this clown car and take the wheel as well. I have no earthly idea. That's there's transferable been, experience right there. There has been um, some, <laughs> there's been some uh, more recent reporting of um, CEO hopes, because now he's CEO of Aravanti, that he, that the, the prior owner has completely stepped away from the company. Um, hopes says he has now retained a $2 million private loan from an investor in Tampa, which is just bizarre to me. Like the, the, the company is being sued by like seven different entities. And they're telling their customers, yeah, basically expect to get no and, refunds. <laughs> and they're being investigated by the FAA. And the guy who just went out is being accused by the federal government of funding the entire establishment of Aerovanti on fraud funds from Medicare scams. So... I can't imagine who had $2 million lying around and said, I think that's a good way to put <laughs> right, that money to like, work for me. <laughs> I mean, clearly they had 2 million to just throw away. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, he, Scott hopes has, has said in, in has been quoted in, in recent stories about this 2 million and that he's taking over and he's going to, he's going to rebuild, he's going to rebrand, rebuild and bring it back and save the, the company. And I'm like, okay. well, if he's half as smart as he always tells people he is, he should have no problem doing just that. And to, to your point about Robert DePaul, I'm, I'm not quite certain. I mean, he stepped away from that company back in February around the time that Scott Hopes left the county. Uh, but one of the first 
couple, one or two of the lawsuits filed against Aravanti specifically names Robert Dupaul as uh, a defendant. Oh, so, no kidding. No kidding. All so. right. So it might not be over yet. So a uh, big shift on the proposed vet housing project that seemed to be sailing right through. What happened there, Mrs. Kitterman? I mean, your guess is as good as mine, but, um, well, I think we have, I think we have- so two, Let's run it down. What, what is the- Well, I think we have two, two separate and interesting things going on here. On one hand, there, there may very well be some validity to some of the positions taken yesterday in terms of it, it does appear as though the conversations in the past were geared towards transitional housing with some, uh, what do you call it, circular or whatever uh, Modular, support. Right. Support. Or yeah, yeah, wraparound services. Wraparound yeah. services. Um, and, and what was being discussed yesterday was about permanent housing and low uh, af low income or affordable housing rather than transitional, but would still have that- that Wraparound service. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing which Van Austin Bridge really pushed in on was that the Laura, Laura, Laurel, Laura, how do you yeah. say that? Land use restricting right, restriction but when agreement, you, but when Laura. You, Laura, when yeah. you pronounce it for short. And uh, when that came back and included, I guess, up to a maximum of 500 units, uh, Van Austin Bridge really stuck on that and was like, that was not my understanding. And when I went back and looked, in fact, it, it does appear to be quite a bit more than like it has gotten, the project idea scope is getting bigger than it originally was proposed, perhaps. I just didn't get the impression that it was the commissioners who discovered these things. I feel like it was pressure from somewhere else. And George Cruz seemed incredibly surprised by the shift. And we, we got some really good uh, sound bites there because when Commissioner Cruz couldn't get even a second, um, which has become a theme, which we'll talk more about, the idea was to break for lunch. And he said a quiet part out loud with, oh, one of those lunches or something. To that. Right, I know, what, know yeah. I know what happens around here on lunch breaks. As, as if the only thing I can interpret is that he's suggesting that sunshine is, sunshine rules oh, are he, violated and- He repeated that statement again when it yes. was kind of ignored. Mm -hmm. And on the second or third time of pointing it out, uh, he said, I ha we have seen this before or other items before where suddenly we take a long lunch and commissioners come back with a new position. Mm -hmm. They've changed their minds. Although this time, commissioners just didn't even come back. That was interesting. Who didn't show back up? So they, they break for who lunch. Did, who, let's put it this way. Let me rephrase the question. Mm -hmm. Who didn't seem willing to vote for the project, but also didn't want to have to vote against it because of... The, maybe the promises they had made earlier. Go ahead. Yeah, I think my husband calls that they had no cojones. Ah. I think that's what he calls that. Uh, that would be Commissioner Mike Ron, Commissioner James Satcher, and Commissioner Jason Bearden. The very loud, let's support our vets crowd Correct. were Correct. Mm, absent from that vote. Right, and, and then so, and this is... Uh, kind of jumbling all of it, but these are the two separate parts of, of what I was alluding to earlier that you've got, perhaps there may be some 
things worth troubleshooting with this project and yes i don't disagree reassessing whether or not this is this is the most ideal location for the project or, or what have you but then you've also got this element like you were saying, where suddenly commissioners who were, uh, you know, short of shooting confetti from the, <laughs> you know, dais just enthusiasts. a few months ago, now suddenly are like, eh, I don't know about all this. The only one who I would say um, is separate of that actually is Jason Bearden, because back in April, um, Jason Bearden expressed some hesitance back then because I don't know exactly what it is if if i understood what he was saying or recalling correctly what he was saying back then he has friends or acquaintances or knowledge with uh of folks he's served with that have received some sort of support or services from u.s vets um and haven't reported to him good experiences in that and so when it had come up before I was actually kind of surprised, given his military background, that he was someone who was expressing some trepidation about the whole idea of working with Tunnels for Towers and their partnership with U.S. vets. And he had expressed wanting to go and tour multiple other location sites and report back, which is what he started the discussion with yesterday of, hey, guys, I went and did this. I think he said he went to six different sites. And... I still have some concerns, um, and that is what kind of began the conversation. But short of him, I don't recall anybody else expressing any hesitation yeah, so let until me, yesterday. Let me qualify that. I'm not saying I disagree that they're probably out over the skis on this in the first place and that there is reason to slow this down and reexamine it. Uh, I'm just saying I found the process curious and just one more. It it is very curious. And I also find it, um, you know, Commissioner Cruz, if you go back and watch this, this portion of the, the particularly like around the votes and the multiple amendments and the lunch break and all of that, he really points out the, you know, the, the arguments put Bearden aside because he's been somewhat consistent, but Van Austin Bridge's concerns and arguments are kind of coming out of left field, as you're pointing out, like seemingly as though somebody's brought it to his attention that he should be concerned now and arguing for things like, oh, hold the phone. Nobody's even talked to the community. Nobody's talked to my constituents about this. What if they don't want this Yeah, so here? it's in his district, and I'm just going to And point- Cruz is like, um, we it's- don't talk to the constituents about much, folks. Right. And Cruz is the one having monthly scheduled town halls for some time the last time i heard about a, a van austin bridge town hall which he is my district commissioner it was scheduled for like i don't even know 9 a.m on a wednesday at gt bray or a coffee house or something and it was not advertised like i didn't find out about it until the day before well doesn't he have this newsletter to communicate these things has, uh, has he pulled the community in his newsletter as a newsletter focused on well you know it's interesting you bring that point up because yesterday in the meeting when he said when he was fighting for a delay in order to hold a town hall he thought it would be cute i guess to say, well, and everybody knows I have the ability to uh, specifically target the residents who will be impacted by this. I'd just like to point out that when I looked a little closer, uh, it's proximity to Lake Flores and Aqua by the Bay jumped out at me. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to not. It's hard to not recognize that. um, So when he says 
speak with my constituents, he might mean constituent. Well, he kept saying residents and business owners. Yeah. He kept saying that. Um, you know, and... For, for, for those who uh, didn't catch up that reference, those are two Carlos Baruf developments. Uh, Aqua by the Bay to Lake Flores. No, is it Lake Flores? No, I don't think Lake Flores is him. It's, um, gosh... It's kind of like on the tip of my tongue, but I keep forgetting the gentleman's okay, name. Okay, but Aqua by the Bay definitely it's is not a, largest It's not one. a common developer name. I mean, I'm not saying that he doesn't develop other things, but um, title Perry, I can't think of it. Uh, let's go to the Planning Commission appointments. Well, before we do that, can I take a moment because I'd like to call something out here. Sure. You had said about asking about who came back to the dais and didn't after that lunch break mm -hmm. to avoid that vote. Now, I don't know what is going on here in terms of all the other situations where I've seen something similar to this happen. Yesterday, it seemed pretty clear. We're recording on a Wednesday. So Tuesday's meeting, it seemed pretty clear. Certain commissioners didn't come back to avoid having to be counted on that vote. However, for several months now, prior even to the recess, there is a pattern emerging where commissioners just disappear from the dais without explanation, or they just don't return to the dais without explanation. And it seems most often to occur with Commissioner Mike Ron, Commissioner James Satcher, or Commissioner Bearden. And sometimes Commissioner Van Austin Bridge will just, you know, I watch the meetings from home. I'm not there in person, so I often don't see the moments they get up and leave, you know, and it'll go to the podium and whoever's speaking, and then you go back to the, and it's like, where did the commissioners go? Where did, they, and I've seen multiple residents um, give public comment and say, who am I even speaking to right now? Like, just the ones I can see, or are other commissioners in a back room listening? And here's the, here's my memory. You've been following this much longer than me, so maybe you can correct me on this if I'm wrong. But my memory is when I first started really watching these meetings before the 2022 election, uh, it used to be that if a commissioner was going to have a reason to leave prior to lunch or wouldn't be coming back promptly after they would, they lunch, would announce it and give they it, would say yeah. it at the beginning of the meeting. They, mm -hmm. They'd let everybody know and explain the cause of that absence. And they would often ask if we could hold votes. Right. They would, they would rearrange yeah, the yeah. agenda to accommodate. There's never an explanation. We just move forward without commissioners on the regular and nobody seems to ever make any mention of why anybody's not there. And Mike, Mike Ron does this a lot, just comes and goes as he pleases. You tell me what other county employee could take their lunch break and just opt to not come back or disappear from their post. Well, here, I'm going to recall that moment, uh, you had it in reporting, this is going back several, several months now, mm -hmm. where county employees had said, we were told by then administrator Scott Hopes, don't even watch the county commission meetings. Mm -hmm. I don't want people watching those because they're just theater. They don't matter. Political theater, yeah. yes. And All think, the real stuff happens behind the scenes. Yes, and I think that that has never been more true than it is now. Yeah, I don't give that guy a lot of credit for much, but I think in that moment he was telling the truth. And and commissioners, if you're listening to your job, we pay you to be there and nobody else has the liberty to just come and go as they please with no explanation. Sit your butt down in your chair. Do the work. Yeah. Now, planning commission, we had, uh, you had reported previously on the odd process that that followed as well yeah. and how 
it seemed to be very, very important to get that done before the wetland mm-hmm. uh, policy came back before that board. So we had two appointments that were suddenly being filled. Uh, tell us more about that and how it went. On very short notice. Yeah, so the the uh, overall process, I would say, again, kind of like what you were describing with the uh, administrator item, uh, pretty pretty quick, brief, short. Um, the nominations were closed very quickly, and then the um, the votes were all unanimous for those who had been nominated. However, Commissioner Cruz, once again, uh, on this item, kind of just said the quiet part out loud, I guess. I, I felt very validated because he, um, in his own words and from his own perspective, uh, pointed out much of the same in, in greater detail, obviously, because he has more access to how the, the situation's unfolding, as to what I had done in my previous reporting where I mentioned the fact that there appeared to be a very quick move to fill those two spots on the planning commission and not real clear communication to the public that there was the second spot, that the closing date was in five days. Five days is not a lot of time. I did not have the comparison that Commissioner Cruz was able to give um, or the reference to something about um, three MPO positions where I guess there must have been a dust up on the dais over that and some commissioners didn't want to appoint people or take up the item because they claimed there hadn't been enough time and they only had the the applications to review for one week's time and that just was not enough to make a qualified decision and he was repeating all of this and refreshing their memories on it and I and and then emphasizing it all by saying however in this situation the position was open for a week and we just got these applications yesterday and nobody's saying boo about it um paraphrasing but um I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. And and that sort of jumped out to me, not to get too in the weeds, sort of jumped out to me because I thought, I wonder if this delayed NPO vote he's referring to has anything to do with that other reporting I did on text messages where somebody was telling certain commissioners not to put people on certain committees. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. So he had... Uh wanted to nominate Glenn Jubilina. He did say that, yes. Yes. So if you ever watch the meetings, Glenn is the guy who shows up and always talks about affordable housing, pointing out that the county's not following its own rules, that the developers are getting entitlements without that you know, process that's already there for them to get increased density if they would do that. Um, talking about the lack of use of solar and, you know, a, a lot of different things. And he's served on the affordable housing committee for yes, some time. Yeah. Um, applied for the planning commission. Uh, George said, I don't think he was going to have the support, but I felt like, you know, th- there's a voice that always shows up and that, that, that voice, instead of just being limited to three minutes here, could mm-hmm. be part of that conversation and people could hear his input on it and wasn't happening. Yeah, I, and and what he what he said was he that he didn't even have the time to make the nomination. Uh, whoever was nominated, James Satcher made a nomination and then immediately moved to call the question. Yes, yes, and and then there was some, and that was interesting too because then there was some confusion about that. Commissioner Cruz voted no on the calling right. the question for the closing the nominations, and Van Austenbridge tried to report the vote for. Roser, I'm not sure how to say her name, the woman who was yeah. ultimately appointed. And 
Cruz interjected and said, no, that's incorrect. I'm saying no to closing the votes. I will support her. Uh, it's just getting very messy. Kevin, Kevin's a little bit of a steamroller here. I do, have to, I do have to mention, I wonder if finally, and I love Glenn, anybody that brings that much enthusiasm, that much CUNY activism, I wonder if finally, though, he's going to get over this cognitive dissonance where these are all people he loudly supported Correct. as candidates mm -hmm. and cycle after cycle he is on the sides of the developer sponsored you know team and then seems to suffer this like you know whiplash when they act like developer puppets like that's not what's to be expected i i don't know where that divide is and why you know he doesn't see that coming from further away. Well, based on what I've, you know, I love you, Glenn, but it's time to give up the ghost. On well, and, well, and and I do want to say that you know I I watch the meetings closely, and I have seen recent public comment, and I've also seen, uh, you know, Mr. Jibalina and I are, are friends on social media. I've never met him in person, so I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're contacts on social media. So I see the sort of things he shares and posts about on uh, his Facebook account uh, and Twitter. And I've also seen comments from him in the past on uh, some of our stories on Facebook and our reporting. And my point is, in the recent past, it does seem that he is saying that out loud a bit more, what you're just talking well, about. And, but that also happened in with the 2020 crew. And then he was still, you know, when 2022 ran around, he was still on that side. So I do know Glenn. I've met him several times. I've had him on the podcast, in fact. And I love him. He's a, he's a good, decent uh, human being uh, who does a lot of great work for the community. But mm -hmm. he seems to have a blind spot on that part. And I, I hope this is finally enough to see, oh, they're, they're not who I thought they were, any of them. Mm hmm so, um, and then that led to a rebranding of Commissioner Cruz's uh, yeah, from the dais, his Substack. Uh, I'm going to give you this address. It's Commissioner Cruz, one word, dot Substack, dot com. Uh, small rebrand, large refocus is the the title of his uh, occasional column that he puts up on there that was just came out, and he is retitling it to for lack of a second well and the thing is 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 this was a substack that commissioner cruz created long ago but before the days of the van austin bridge newsletter before the days of the uh scott hopes beefed up media pr thing of the county i mean not that the county didn't have that before but it's kind of been put on steroids a bit and um he had created this substack and I had followed it back then. And, and honestly, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about it. It's been a long time since he's made any posts on there. Um, but I get the email, woke up 7, 7 a.m. this morning and I had a email from there. And when it came <laughs> into my inbox, I, I saw the words for lack of a second. And I thought that it was like a Bradenton Herald email that maybe they were reporting on the, the veteran housing vote. I was a little confused. I opened it and then I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? And I mean, I was, I was like, wow. Okay. Um, I would suggest signing up. Yes. For I this. signed up today and, uh, it's interesting because he, he talks about both his effort to have a conversation about the FDAB, uh, and that policy that allows for development east of it. 
and maybe that it went exactly how we predicted it would go <laughs> once they started doing it. Um, you know, I wish he would have been a louder voice before they passed it. Uh, not that it would have stopped it, but he did try to say, hey, you know, this this might be moving faster than we thought. And when they when they denied that one application, which wasn't from one of their developers, uh, they seemed to have an appetite for it in the denial. But then later in the meeting, when it was like, hey, are we going to talk about that? I was like, oh, no, there's, well, there's no this, appetite for that. And, and this would be another situation where, if I recall... Uh, the, it appeared he had some support, at least at a minimum, to have a conversation yes, yes. about rearranging it. And then people went on break and came back with a different after lunch. Yes, different perspective. Yes, so and that, narrative that was on one that. of the examples I think he was referencing mm -hmm. when he said that. Mm -hmm. uh, and he points out too that he has repeatedly tried to bring up the um, bringing back the call in public comments. He's he's said that and and when citizens come up to the dais to this day and or not dais but the podium uh and say bring back public comments when are you bringing back public public crews will often respond to those those uh citizens and say i've tried if i thought i could get support for it i'd make the motion again but i can't even get a second up here um there were some other ones that he pointed out that were things that that he's tried to get any support on and oh, impact fees. Um, yeah, there was, he had a pretty, pretty good short list there. Yeah. And then he has a part, passage where he says just in the next 60 days, we can expect discussions on parking garages, environmental restrictions, new County administrator, a final budget, workforce housing policies associated with the live local act comp plan policy. Uh, the 2.1.28 um, will be a rewrite of the comp plan itself. And everyone's favorite topic are impact fees. And a telling line, a little bit cryptic afterwards. And if I were a betting man, this may only be the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Well, I wouldn't take that bet. I agree with you. I think that there yeah. is going to be an onslaught of legislative action taken by this board in, in a short period of time. And I think the public should be very, very tuned in. And, and, and basically the spirit of, of this posting today is, is essentially saying... Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I, I've been trying to do what I can from the dais. I've been trying to say uh, the quiet parts out loud and communicate what the issues are, but I can't even get board discussion if I can't get a second on that or I can't get support to open the discussion. And so now he's, as you said, rebranding this substack. he says, and he's now going to use that to have the discussions and say things that, that he, maybe couldn't he, in the meeting, that he right. feels like... Um, and. Time will tell. I, I look forward to following and seeing, you know, if he's going to use this for exactly as he says. I'm thinking it's going to cause some uh, discomfort, perhaps, uh, you know, because we're supposed to have this whole kumbaya up there. Well, and that's that's the overall goal. And that's why you see it starts with we need to go after anybody who will even say mm -hmm. let's have a discussion and those people are targeted in elections which we've seen before if anybody mm -hmm. dissents it doesn't matter that we got what the bosses wanted and it was a 5-2 vote they don't like when those two people bring up why they're not voting for it lest the public believe that there's alternatives to the actions we took and once it goes past that you've got all seven people then it's like well, we're not supposed to discuss anything now this is supposed to be like a city of bradenton meeting which if you ever noticed if you've ever been to one of those, particularly um, uh, since Bill Sanders has been gone, there's not a lot of, hey, wait a minute there, and let's talk about this more. Uh, it was even far worse if you go back in the early 2000s there. Uh, 
or, or even 2010, um, those meetings would sometimes be over in 45 minutes when everybody just, hey, patting each other on the back, we're saving the world, <laughs> this is great, uh, our community's gonna, gonna love it. And that's important because that conversation and that dissent is what informs the community and helps people understand that, you know, it, it's very difficult if you just get all roses and sunshine from your elected officials and if you don't have the direct knowledge yourself that, hey, this might not be a great idea because of A, B, or C, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to, you know, pick through that. And hopefully you're reading news sources like ours so that, you know, those those rosy predictions are, are often challenged, but it's just, it's telling how much effort there is to say, hey, our job isn't to talk about the pros and right, cons. The, the thing, Our job is to talk about the pros and get the job done. Right. The things we hear the most discussion over are the things that are going to be... Benign. Or, or, or seemingly fail because that's what they're supposed to do anyway. Right. I, right. It, 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 you know, so you've got to hear the justification for all the reasons why that's going to happen. I mean, again, I I, I feel... I feel... Uh, I have hesitation in, in stating so broadly that all things are as orchestrated as they appear, much like what you were saying a moment ago about um, Scott Hope's comment back when about don't even watch the meet. But boy, it is getting weird. It is getting weird and it seems harder and harder to conceal that um, clearly there is some conversation, orchestration, lack of actual public service. As you're talking about, you know, the the question is not only is that a, a benefit to the community and the people who are watching who want to be engaged and learn about the issues. If you have commissioners who aren't doing their homework and aren't learning about it at home and reading over their agendas and asking qualified staff questions so they can come back to the meeting with questions. And the reason they don't need to do any of that is because I already know roughly what the desired outcome is perhaps. So it's a disservice to everybody involved. <laughs> We're going to wrap it up there. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging in with us. Uh, appreciate your patience as we transition to a new and more dynamic website. We're tweaking it every day, and I think we're getting it right where it needs to be. Um, but there there are some hurdles from, from day to day until we get this all down. I'd, I'd expect another week or two before we have it exactly where we want it. But we appreciate your patience and your support. If you can become one of our voluntary subscribers and pay $7 a month to help us continue to give you good, informed, local news, fact-based news analysis without an agenda, we would greatly appreciate it. And tune in for us this Sunday at thebradentontimes.com.